Hi, welcome to another edition of Orthopod. My name is Mo Bandari, Editor-in-Chief of Ortho Evidence, and I have the pleasure uh, today of interacting with uh, Dr. Moin Khan, who is in uh, shoulder surgeon with an interest in sports medicine, uh, and also is the director of the Shoulder Fellowship at McMaster University. Uh, welcome, Dr. Khan. Thanks for having me, Mo. So we're starting a session on orthopod, uh, Moin, that really focuses on shoulder surgery, but particularly you know, interacting with experts um, in understanding trends. So I have three questions for you that I was hoping we can cover in fairly short order, um, which starts with the following. I'd like your opinions on what's trending in shoulder surgery. What are you reading that you'd recommend for others to at least read in shoulder surgery? And what types of questions are you asking right now in shoulder surgery? Those are the three things I'd like to get in. And this would be more of an update or a specialty update sort of uh, approach. So why don't we begin with the first question? What's trending right now in shoulder? Yeah. Um, that's a great question, Mo. I think there are four main areas that I think are trending right now in shoulder surgery. The first one is people are really starting to question the role of surgery in shoulder impingement syndrome. Um, the second one is um, biologics in rotator cuff surgery are a really hot topic. And um, we're really looking into what, um, what their role is. Um, the third topic that I think is very hot is instability. Um, and this involves the gamut from the first time uh, dislocator to the dislocator that has some uh, bone loss. Um, and then the fourth topic that I think that is very hot is the role of templating and um, augmented reality and um, navigation in shoulder arthroplasty. So there's quite a, quite a variety of uh, things that are going on. So clearly it's a fast moving specialty right now with respect to evidence and research. Can you speak a little bit more about the biologics? So what types of biologics are on the horizon or what's being tested right now for shoulder? Yeah, I think biologics are a really um, hot area because we know that a significant number of patients who have rotator cuff repairs um, fail, particularly those who have large and massive tears. And so there's this real need to improve the biology um, of the healing environment. And there are areas right now that are being explored in biologics, um, which include platelet-rich plasma, still a very hot topic. Um, and further into that, looking more at the um, leukocyte-rich and leukocyte-poor formulations. Um, there's also um, the role of bioinductive um, uh, augments for a rotator cuff repair in which collagen patches are also placed on top of the repair to stimulate further healing. Um, and there's also a role of um, looking into um, other, other treatment options such as uh, growth hormone injections um, and that sort of thing. When you think about biologics, which ones do you think ultimately uh, may have the greatest promise in the upcoming few years? I think platelet-rich plasma still holds a significant amount of promise. Um, and the issue with PRP is really figuring out which formulations um, are going to have the biggest impact um, with the healing environment. And when you think about, uh, let's say PRP, for example, I mean, it's come a long way. When you think about all the other, um, you know, indications for which it's been used, it does appear as though it's got quite a bit of evidence for lateral epicondylitis. We're starting to see evidence for knee osteoarthritis and sounds like you're pretty confident now that there's going to be uh, sufficient evidence to start warranting more of its use, and maybe it's already happened as it relates to uh, shoulder. Is that, is that fairly accurate? 
Yeah, I think so. There was a recent network meta-analysis that came out of NYU that showed that leukocyte poor formulations decreased retear rates um, in rotator cuff tears. So I think there is definitely a lot of research going on in the area, um, which may be very promising. So that gets me to my next question. Um, you're clearly trying to keep up with the evidence. So what would you recommend to our uh, viewers in terms of a paper that would be a must-read paper that might highlight one of your other top trending topics? Yeah, I think the area of um, surgery and questioning surgery for shoulder impingement is very hot right now. There have been a number of recent trials that have come out in Lancet and BMJ, JBJS that have really shown no significant benefit for um, surgery for shoulder impingement. There's a nice um, paper um, that just came out in 2020 um, in uh, BJSM um, that looked at subacromial decompression surgery for adults with shoulder pain. Um, it was a, a systematic review and meta-analysis that I would recommend um, that provides a nice overview of the topic. And it also was accompanied with a um, BJ, BMJ um, clinical practice guidelines uh, on the topic. So I think that's, that's a nice topic to read around. And, and, when you, and when they're talking specifically about um, non-operative treatment being sufficient, is it truly non-operative treatment? Is it physiotherapy? Is it, um, what, what were the conditions? So in managing those patients, now looking at it evidence-based, Dr. Khan, what would you be doing with those patients? Yeah, I think for these patients, um, the studies included a whole variety of, other, of uh, non-operative treatments as well as placebo um, or sham surgery. So for these patients, um, I think really pushing the physiotherapy, trying the uh, anti-inflammatory medications, the um, subacromial cortisone injection um, is, is a mainstay for treatment. And you think basically um, that should suffice. In other words, there's likely, there's likely an additional added benefit than to do the surgical procedure itself or the surgical decompression. Yeah, I think for the, the vast majority of patients with subacromial impingement syndrome, um, this treatment uh, works quite well. Great, thank you. And why don't we just finish off to, um, you know, you yourself are uh, uh, an active uh, scholar and researcher. So what types of questions do you have on your mind? Um, and what types of things do you believe still need answers? Yeah, I think one area that really needs uh, an answer is the massive rotator cuff tear in the younger patient. There are many, many different treatment options that range from uh, debridement to grafts to partial repairs to balloon arthroplasties. Um, superior capsular reconstruction is very hot right now. And we don't have a lot of evidence to really guide practice um, as to what treatment may be best for which type of patient. So that is a huge area that needs to be um, evaluated further. So on that point alone, first of all, how common are these massive tears? And that, you know, could, could it, um, is there a reason that we're not seeing big trials because there are just not enough patients to recruit for these large trials? Or is it really just a prioritization of research questions? I think these, these patients are quite common. Um, and I think it is an issue of prioritization. Um, we see these patients a lot in clinic, um, and I just think that they, the studies have not been done yet. Okay, good. So there's lots of opportunity there. And are you aware of any studies ongoing in this area, or really you're saying it's, it's a pretty, pretty wide open area right now for evaluation? There are a number of studies ongoing. Uh, in fact, um, we are collaborating with uh, the University of Toronto on a uh, trial evaluating the superior capsular reconstruction versus uh, partial rotator cuff repair in this patient population. 
Oh, great. Okay, perfect. And uh, you had said that there's some other questions you might have. Yeah, the other question I really wanted to highlight is instability still is a very hot area. The first time dislocator, there are some studies that suggest um, a sevenfold um, reduction in uh, recurrent instability with, with surgery right off the bat. So that is an area that is pretty hot. The patient that has recurrent instability already, um, should they be treated with a bony procedure such as a ladder J versus a soft tissue procedure? We're doing a trial on that right now. And then uh, the patient that has a significant amount of bone loss, should they be treated with a ladder J versus a um, allograft procedure? Um, should this be done open or arthroscopic? All of these areas are, are hot topics right now. And, and remind me again, so despite, I mean, what would seem to be decades and decades of research in shoulder, um, you still, still haven't come to what seem to be some very fundamental answers to questions. And it reminds me a lot of trauma where the hip fracture after, you know, some 50 odd years of, you know, tens of thousands of publications and many, many hundreds of clinical trials um, still remains a very, you know, unsolved fracture. Um, are we seeing the same in the shoulder? Absolutely, Mo. Um, all the available trials, um, if there are trials, are of um, small sample sizes um, or there are just small comparative studies. Right. Um, so we really don't have high quality um, evidence to guide our treatment decisions. So you've identified two, two areas where there's a lot of opportunity for questions. Is there any others? The other area that I think is pretty hot is with shoulder arthroplasty. Um, providing um, more information to the surgeon, whether it is preoperative templating and even translating that template using augmented reality in the, in the operating room or navigation um, to help the surgeon. And a lot of these treatment decisions relate to um, fixation of the glenoid, which is a number one uh, cause of failure for uh, shoulder arthroplasty. Um, and while this is um, certainly very helpful for the surgeon in um, getting a better appreciation of the of the an, a patient's anatomy, it's still difficult to say um, what clinical impact this has because there's not that much research on the long-term clinical impact of, of this technology. Well, let me ask you this as a, as a clarifying point before we close out, Dr. Khan. So when we talk about augmented and virtual reality, and we talk about all these, you know, um, really, really innovative tools for education, is this more an application for learning as it turns, let's say it's a trainee learning, or do you feel that it's equally valuable for, um, let's say, an expert or a trained uh, surgeon who has, you know, who has enough comfort and experience? Is there an additional benefit to VR uh, and augmented reality in, you know, once you actually have reached a certain level of competency? I think there is still a benefit for um, virtual reality or an augmented reality, um, even for the trained surgeon. Um, certainly for the learner, there is definitely benefit um, in practicing a technique, um, but for a surgeon who may not have uh, performed a, a procedure or has, may not used a certain type of implant, um, this is a nice way for them to gain some experience before getting into the operating room. Um, or if they wanted to um, join another surgeon interoperatively and um, experience uh, their techniques um, virtually, that would also be an option. So there are, there are a lot of um, applications that are available um, that I think have benefit for a broad variety of uh, learners and, and surgeons. Wonderful. Uh, on that note, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you again for sharing, us what, uh, sharing with us your insights, uh, Dr. Khan, and we look forward to uh, further interactions with you um, as we, sh are, we are pretty sure that the area of shoulder surgery is gonna continue to evolve uh, and there'll be a continued need for more interactions and more evidence. Thanks so much.